coming to God is all by grace. When we come into his family, it is like a small child, a newborn being adopted into a new home. The newborn has not done anything to deserve being adopted into this, this new home. The newborn hasn't done anything to deserve this, but there's pure mercy poured out onto this newborn because of this. And so, so getting into God's family is purely by grace. Let's get into the Word of God. Let me recap. What we covered last time uh, is that we were going over the prophet Isaiah and in verses, verses 10 through 15, he was talking about um, this formalism in worship and how he hated the formalism in worship because the heart was not coupled to any of this. It wasn't that that it was the, the, the traditions that were there. I mean, many of these God had, himself had put in place. But it was that there was no heart coupled to these, this formalism. And they were just going through the acts of this. And he really came out against this. I mean, for example, in verse 14, he says, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me and I am weary of bearing them. Uh, and he says, you know, I'm not even, I'm, I'm even going to listen to this anymore. I'm just going to hide my face from this. And so these are the things that he went over. But now what he comes to is he comes to, well, what is effectual worship? What is worship that is effective? And, and so he, this is in total contrast to what he had put forward last time. And so we're going to start reading in verse 16 of Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And so, so 16 and 17, he's giving them an idea of what effectual worship is and how they can turn this thing around. I mean, God always does this again and again. He... he he teaches us what it is to turn something around. We do something wrong, and he teaches us what it is to turn it around. He is so good. Jesus is so kind to us. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't owe this to us. God owes us nothing. But he has chosen to be good to us in this way. And so in verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. This is what he's speaking of is repentance. He says the way back, the way back is repentance, where we come before God and we say, Lord, I am sorry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I have blown it yet again. And God is so good and so faithful to hear that. And he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds uh, uh, from my sight. So what they're doing is, he, he says, seek forgiveness. And in order to get forgiveness, we have to seek forgiveness. Seeking forgiveness is the means by which we get forgiveness. And, and, and some may say, well, Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But that was actually very specifically for the, the men that were actually crucifying him. The men in the act of crucifying him, they were just following orders. They had no idea that this is the Son of God that they're doing this to. It wasn't until... Till the, 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 the heaven shook 
that one of the guards said this was indeed the Son of God. But uh, uh, he says, for example, in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, it says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him with criminals, one on the right and the other on his left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them. Who is the they? This is the soldiers who are casting lots. This is the they that he was speaking of when he said, Father, forgive them. So as they're nailing these nails through his hands and in his feet, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're just uh, uh, soldiers obeying orders. And so this, but here, in this case, they knew what they had done. God had warned them here in, in the prophet Isaiah, and that's generally what it's like for us. And, he's, he, he, and, and so this seeking of forgiveness is a requirement for forgiveness. And he says, seek this through repentance, through repentance. Do this. You're washing yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds. Along with repentance, repentance means you're turning from going one direction and you're going now the opposite direction. This is what repentance speaks of. So you can see a person, you can see a change in their life when they've come to the Lord that all of a sudden they want to change their habits, that when they do something wrong, it stings them in a different way. And there is now this desire to change their ways, to change the way they do things. This is coupled. So when a person gets saved, this is part of what should be seen. That you can speak to them about sin and all of a sudden it should catch them. And then he says, he says this is to be evident. He says, uh, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. He says, cease to do evil. Your habits change. Behavior changes. <clears throat> when there is real repentance, behavior changes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. So good is something that is learned. It's not like we naturally know what to do that's good. This is something that is learned. We learn to do good. Seek to do, uh, cease to do evil. Learn to do what is good. So you see in this portion, he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from your sight, and start doing good. Start doing good. And, it, and it's, it's reminiscent of what John the Baptist had told had told the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees. So these are the two groups of leaders in John chapter in, in Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three. These two groups of leaders: the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So remember that Sanhedrin was made up of two thirds Sadducees, one third Pharisees. The Pharisees were the minority party, and uh, uh, and these were the leading groups, the 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 spiritual leaders and people from among those divisions. Among those people were coming, whether they, they were ones who were, who were uh, uh, on the Sanhedrin or not, we don't know. But it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, John the Baptist says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. He says, don't think that you can just say, you know, Abraham is our father, or we come from a Christian home. We'll be, we'll be okay. He says, don't think you can do that. He says, you bring forth deeds that therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
Coming to God is all by grace. When we come into his family, it is like a small child, a newborn being adopted into a new home. The newborn has not done anything to deserve being adopted into this this new home. The newborn hasn't done anything to deserve this, but there's pure mercy poured out onto this newborn because of this. And so, so getting into God's family is purely by grace. But then once we are in his family, he expects of us good works. He has good works to set apart for us. And that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. So twice in this passage, he says it's not of yourselves, it's not a result of works. It's by grace, which is an unmerited favor, an undeserved gift. By grace you have been saved through faith. We receive this by having faith. But the very next verse, verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You see that once we're in the family, he says, Oh, and by the way, I've got, I've got certain works for you to do that I have prepared for you to absolutely do. Good works. You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Once you come into this family, once this newborn comes into this family, as that newborn starts to grow, they are expected to do things within the family. They're expected to have do certain chores. They're expected to, to, to sit at dinner. They're expected, there are things that are expected of them. And he says that in keeping with repentance, you're to stop doing evil, you're to to start doing good. Uh, uh, And and you have to learn to do these good things. These are the things that you do. uh, Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, remove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. This is something that had been given them to do in, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 22 in the law. What had been given to them was to watch out for the orphan and the widow. Exodus 22, verse 21. This was part of their commandments to to live under. It says, verse 21 of Exodus chapter 22, You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So they were commanded to take care of the stranger. We are commanded to take care of the stranger, to be good to the stranger in our midst. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, if you are good... If you are good to visitors to our country, if you are good to internationals, if you are good to them, God will be good to you when you go abroad. I remember that, that when I was in, in uh, graduate school, I got the opportunity to go to the UK and uh, uh, to, to, to uh, spend a week at, at uh, the University of Swansea in England. And, and, uh, um, and I had this very heavy bag. So... Bags in those days, very few of them had wheels on them. And you think, well, what's wrong? When did they put wheels on bags? I don't know. They just didn't. So I had this very heavy bag, and I didn't know how to travel well. Now I know how to travel. You travel light. I, I carry very little. I carry a light bag, and it has wheels. Back then, I didn't know how to travel. So I had this big, it was actually a duffel bag, a big duffel bag, and I had a lot of stuff thinking I, uh, uh, you, you know, I just, just, I was only going to be there a week, but I didn't know how to pack for a week. I thought I had to have a, a, lot, of, a lot of things with me. Anyway, so we got, we got off this, this train, 
And then one guy says, oh, you just walk down this road and you'll get to the University of Swansea. It was like four miles. But I started walking, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm carrying this bag and it started getting, and I was getting so tired and I was getting sweaty and I was like, why didn't I just take a cab? I mean, this guy just directed me and, and uh, um, you'll find that, that, that people in Europe just walk a lot, but I, it would have been no problem had I not had this very heavy bag. And I'm walking and I'm thinking, Lord, I, so I had an international student ministry when I was an undergraduate and when I was a graduate. Uh, uh, then Shireen and I were gra- married when I was in graduate school and we always reached out to internationals. And I prayed, I said, Lord, I've always been good at internationals when they've come. Would you send somebody to help me out here? And right then, boom, a guy pulled right over and he says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the University of Swansea. He says, this is miles down the road. He says, get in, I'll take you. And he drove me right there and he drove me all through the university to find the place where I'd be staying and he dropped me off right there. When you are good to, other, when you are good to others who come to your country, God will be good to you. He, so, so he says, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Exodus 22, 22, you shall not afflict any widow or orphan. Now, mind you, in, in the East, orphan is not a person who has no mother or father. It is, a, it is a, a child who has no father. Even if you have a mother, you're considered an orphan in, in this generation. And so he says, you shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry and my anger will be kindled and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. You want to mess with God? He says, you mess around with widows. You fail to take care of widows. You fail to plead on their behalf. You take advantage of orphans. You don't care for them. I will kill you. I mean, imagine waking up in the morning and God says, ah, I'm going to kill you today. He says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you with the sword. You're not going to just die a natural death. You're going to die by the sword. And I'm going to make your wives widows. And I'm going to make your children fatherless. This is what he told them. And he says to them now in in Isaiah, he says, uh, Reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. So he gives them this instruction. He instructs them, instructs them uh, to care for these people. Look in, in Proverbs 24, Proverbs 24, uh, uh, 11 and 12. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we didn't know this, does not he consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? You know, this is the verse that really touches my heart. I love life. I love children. I love the unborn. I love the unborn. I love them. And this verse really touches my heart. It says, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we didn't know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? 
Does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to a man according to his work? I love the unborn. So you see this, the, the, this, he had exhorted them. And then how about, it says, reprove the ruthless. In Psalm 72, verse 4, it says, May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. It's up to you to crush the oppressor. This whole thing that we see in many cities nowadays, many cities, these things that we see of, of uh, no bail. People can commit crime, they get picked up, and they get let right out on the street to commit another crime. This is not the Bible's way. It never has been the Bible's way. And you say, well, we're just having justice. You're having justice by making everyone equally free? No, I mean, lock them all up. You have to take care and, and deal with the oppressor. He says, he says that, that, uh, um, that remove the ruthless, remove the ruthless. There are things that we have to do as a society to protect people. And you see the devastation that this is causing, the utter devastation that's happening in these cities. And uh, this is what will happen. You go against the word of God, there will be devastation in these cities when you go against the word of God. So he says, he says uh, uh, um, reprove the ruthless, plead for the widow. Uh, reprove the Ruth, uh, defend the orphan, plead for the widow, widow. So he's saying, this is part of the work you have to do. You want to come back to me? You're going to have to start doing these things. And this is part of what you're going to have to start doing. He, he, he goes right after specifics. Now let's read on. Verse 18. <clears throat> verse 18. So he's offering them mercy now in verse 18 through 20. So this is, this is sort of like in a trial. Remember, this is a trial that's going on. And... and uh, um, uh, so, so, so on trial is Israel, and so, so you have this, there's this indictment, and on trial God is the plaintiff, and he's the judge, and the heavens and the earth are the witnesses, and Israel is on trial. And in the middle of this trial, he stops with this word of mercy. So it's, it's, it's like, okay, the two attorneys can come together, and it's not going very well. Let, 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 me, let me talk with the... With the, with the uh, let me talk with the state attorney now and see what I can work out for my client before this, uh, it doesn't go very well for me. And God offers them this right in the middle of this trial. He offers them some mercy. He says in verse 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So right in the middle of this trial, he puts in this little, little way that you could go. He says, come now and let us reason together. You see this invitation of God. Come now. Come. This whole invitation of come. And this, this always reminds me of, of what, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, this invitation to us. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to come to him. If you don't know him, I urge you this day to come to him. You come and talk to me afterward. We get together and you can know him this very day. Jesus gives us this mercy. The Father was presenting this sort of mercy to Israel in the middle of this trial. He says, come now, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come now, let us reason together. Let me talk with you about this. Let's reason together. Come now, let us reason together. You see this, this picture of this, this Father coming. Let's reason together. I know it's not going to go well for you. It's not going to go well for you. Come, let's reason together. Let's talk about this. And you see the Father initiating this. God is initiating this. Remember, as parents, we need to initiate this with our children. We need to be the initiators of the, the, the acts of mercy. And, uh, and say, come on, let, let's talk about this. And you see God doing this. Uh, even though God was the one who was, who, who was the offended party in the sense, it was Israel who was rebellious, it is God who is inviting them saying, Come, let's reason together. As believers, we are the ones that are supposed to initiate the restitution. We can't expect the world to always initiate this. We are supposed to be the initiators, to give an opportunity for things to be restored. And as I think over my life, how many times I could have initiated, I could have been more forthright in initiating restitution and in initiating things to be corrected. He says, come now and let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So snow and wool are inherently white. They're naturally white. It's not something that has to be made white. He says, I will make you like that. And so right in the midst of this, he's giving them this little sign that in me, I'm going to provide a way for you. I will provide. He says, you come to me and I'm going to provide for, for this restitution. Uh, uh, you see the, this, this physical mercy that he's giving them, this physical act of mercy that he's giving them. It's not revealed until Isaiah 53 that this act of mercy is going to come by the death of his son, by God giving himself on the cross. That's not re revealed until later on in this book but he's giving them this hint that there is going to be a way if you will receive it. There will be this way. He said that, that if you consent and obey, verse 19, if you consent and obey. So in other words, I'm not going to force you to be white. If you consent and obey, you've got to submit to this and you've got to obey. There's an act of obedience. You want to have a miserable life? Disobey the scriptures. It's a very easy thing. Just disobey the scriptures and you will have a hard life. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your children. It'll affect your relationships. It will affect your workplace. Go ahead. Disobey the word of God and it will greatly affect your life. If you obey the word of God, it will greatly affect your life for good. God will take care of your life. He says, if you consent and obey... You will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So right in the middle of this trial, he's saying, you sure you want to go through with this? 
You sure you want to go through with this? And what we're going to see is, is, is Israel declines. And, and uh, now, now there's going to be uh, uh, this rejection. There's going to be this rejection of this kind offer. So in verse 21, there's the rejection. It says, How the faithful city has become a harlot. She who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your drink diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe, a, a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. So, so uh, uh, this is the rejection. Israel has rejected that offer of kindness. This is their rejection. And, and Israel was always put forward as the, 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 the bride of Yahweh, the bride of God. He was, she was always characterized as the bride of God. Uh, uh, it, this, is, this is talked about in, in um, Exodus. This is it, it's talked about in Exodus. It's talked about in the prophets. It's talked about in Ezekiel. It's talked about in Jeremiah. And Hosea totally focused on this, of, of uh, uh, this bride of God. So the bride of God was always Israel. And he says, but you've become a prostitute. You've become a harlot in verse 21. And uh, uh, the prophets really characterize this. I mean, there's lots of verses throughout, throughout the prophets that talk about Israel's harlotry, going off with others. And, and the whole book of Isaiah kind of focuses around that. But he says, you know, you used to be righteous. You are no longer. You're now a bunch of murderers. Verse 22, your silver has become dross. In other words, there's impurity. It's polluted. Your drink diluted with water. Uh, uh, and he says, your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. This rewards can also be translated as, as bribes. So you love bribes, even chase after these rewards. You chase after these bribes. This is the first instance, I don't know if you remember, I told you when we, in, when we started this book, that, that Isaiah was a master of the Hebrew language. He is the, the clearly the, the most articulate and, and uh, the most experienced writer of the Old Testament. And you can see this, and we talked about how Isaiah may have been part of the royal family. And, uh, uh, and so he, he's very skilled in writing. And so what he does, this is the first instance of a word play. So we see this word play where he changes one letter in a word or one vowel pattern, and the whole meaning of, of the word changes. So here's the first case of it. So there's, there's a, um, in, in Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verse 14, it says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. So this is a common uh, 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 a, a, a common word in Israel, seek peace. This is this, uh, uh, this chase after or seek. So you see in verse, uh, uh, in verse 23, it says, and they chase after rewards. This word chase, so this radoff, this radoff, and he's saying seek peace. Seek peace is radoff shalom. Shalom, this word of peace in Israel, radoff shalom. So you seek peace, radoff shalom. But what he writes here is, you chase after bribes. You chase after rewards. And it's, it's Radoff Shalmonim. Radoff Shalmonim. So Radoff Shalom, change one vowel pattern, Radoff Shalmonim. 
So he takes a wordplay, something that they would constantly say to each other. Seek peace. He says, seek your bribes. Seek your bribes. To them, this was a, 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 a just, you know, he was really poking them in this. And so you see this, this wordplay that Isaiah does here. And this is the first of many times that he's going to do this. And then again, he proclaims upon them, you haven't, you haven't, taken, you haven't defended the orphan. You haven't uh, uh, pleaded for the widow. You haven't spoken up for those in need. You know, I, I, I'm so thankful to my wife. I see her all the time doing things for other people. I mean, so, so um, uh, you, you know, on Sundays, there are all these meals that are packed up. So it's packed up for students, yes. It's also packed up for international students that don't have as much and she'll, these are delivered to them. We have guys in the class that will do these delivers. They're packed up for, for older people who are kind of shut in their homes and it's harder for them to get out. They're packed up for cancer patients. So there's these cancer patients. And that's where all these meals go to. So you, see, you say, wow, there's all this extra food. There's an extra food after these lunches for a reason because that all gets packed up and it goes to all these homes. And she's always got this eye for other people. And, and uh, so we, we had this wedding uh, for, for uh, uh, Zach and Lauren yesterday. And, you know, Zach comes from a, you, you, can, you can ask him about his testimony. He comes from a, a, a really broken home. Uh, he comes from a an, an, uh, very little family life growing up. And all of a sudden, you know, one neighbor or something started taking him to a local Baptist church. And he got saved as a little kid and went all through the Baptist church. But because he didn't have a stable home, Shireen says, I'm going to take care of his wedding. I'm going to make sure that you know, everything is there. We'll take care of his wedding. And she just poured herself out for this guy's wedding. And she says, for Zach, I'm going to do this. Because she knew that his family was not going to be able to be there for him. Not only do they live in another state, but the family wasn't there to come around him and do this for him. So she was going to do it for him. And she always has this heart for other people. This is what God is saying. He says, you've got to, you've got to plead for, for, for these widows. You've got to take care of these orphans. Having an eye for other people. And this is what you see all over the world with Christians. You, see, you go all over the world and you see hospitals that were founded by Christians. You go through India. I mean, the hospitals were founded by Christians. It wasn't, wasn't done by the Hindus. It was Christians that went in there. And, and founded so many different hospitals, so many different schools and colleges. And you see this work that has gone before us. And all of these Christian names on these universities and hospitals, these are people who really cared, wanted to do things. And this is what he calls us to. And he's, he's judging Israel for not doing this. We are obliged to do this. We are obliged as a society to take care of the weak among us. We are obliged as a society to take care of those who are really in need. Now, the Bible clearly makes a distinction. He says you are to take, in the New Testament, he says, you take care of widows who are widows indeed. And then he defines people who are widows indeed. People who, women who do not have children that, to take care of them. He says if they have children, the children should have been raised in a way that they would take care of their widowed mother. They're to do this. So we have a responsibility to our parents. 
And he says, let their own children take care of them. Let them not be a burden on the church. Let them be a widow indeed. So if they're over 60 years old, Paul defines this. So he has certain parameters. He says, because some people, if not, they'll abuse it. They'll abuse it. So he puts certain parameters on this. But there are people that our society has to take care of. There are people that are severely disabled. We have an obligation as a society, as a culture, to take care of them. This is part of who we are. We take care of these people. We take care of the infirmed among us. You take a person who's heavily infirmed or has a brain injury or something, it's hard for the family to do this. They can't afford all these bills. So, that, so the state is to come alongside and do this. This is a good thing. This whole thing of taking care of people in societies. This is what we're supposed to do as a body of Christ, as a church, and as a society and a culture. This is what we do. And they were being judged for not having done this. And this is what, what, what prompts us to do this. And then the New Testament, this is underscored for us again. All over again, it's underscored for us. The community of what we have in the body of Christ. We just heard the, the pastor speaking. Some of you are going to go to the later service. But he was talking about the bereavement team. There's a bereavement team in this church. So somebody in your family dies and then start, people start coming over your house and things and you feel like you have to entertain them and take care of them and have food. You don't have to do that. The church, the bereavement team comes in and takes care of that. They arrange for the food. They bring in the food and they are there for all these visitors that are going to start coming into your home and into your family so that you can just grieve and be there with your family. This is what the church does. This is part of being something of the body of Christ. I know in a college class, you don't feel it because not too many college students are dying around you. But in a church of this size, with this diversity, which is, again, has from newborns all the way up to people that are... Every week, somebody is dying in this church of old age. Every week. You go to the seniors class, and every couple of years, the class is kind of different because people are just dying off. That's just the way it is. You go to the young marrieds class and every week, I mean, there's another baby. This is life. This is what societies are. This is what churches are. And, and, uh, and, and so we take care of each other. And that's why when a mother has a new baby, she doesn't have to worry. There's going to be people coming in every night. They're going to be bringing food to the family when somebody is born. So, so for, for weeks, the, the woman doesn't have to worry about this. This is what the body of Christ does, and this is why we do this, and this is important to God. And these people are undergoing a strict judgment for not doing this, for not participating in this. This is why we care for each other, because God has told us to, and because God has demonstrated it. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus demonstrated this for us. And this is why we do it. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ. If you don't know the Lord, I urge you to know him. Come and partake of us with the body of Christ. If you've not been, become part of this church, if you figure, oh, I'm just a student, I'll just show up here and that'll be, that'll be what I have to do. I urge you to get involved with the body of Christ. I urge you to serve in some way, get involved in some way in the body of Christ and help and become part of this and learn what it is to serve in the local church. Because when you do this, there's going to come a day when you're going to graduate and you're not going to have your little campus group there and, uh, and you're going to have to know 
how to work in the body of Christ and how to serve and be a part of the local church, the local body of Christ, which has all ages. It's not like a college campus where everybody's running around and, you know, running around campuses. It's all ages. There's little kids right up to the elderly, and we take care of each other. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you've demonstrated to us in your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you give opportunities for mercy and you teach us what real worship is. And Father, thank you for the opportunities that you give us to serve one another, to be your hands and feet here on earth, that you call us to these things. Father, let us walk in them, I pray. Let us walk in them. Your mercy and grace be upon us. Thank you, my Father. I pray for these young people that you'd give them a deep heart for you, a love for you, a love for your word. Father, I pray for these young people that you'd give them good homes, good marriages, that they'd have children and raise them for you. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers. Save their souls so that they too can know what it is to be part of a body of Christ and to serve the living God. Thank you, Lord, that you are always calling us to be better, to do good deeds, that you have set aside good deeds for us to do. Thank you, my Father. Glory be to your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to give to help out with these podcasts, you can go to jesusandscience.org. All donations are tax deductible. We have no employees in this organization. All the money just goes for the contract work on the production. Thanks so much.